keep in our prayers um, uh, those who will be traveling a lot. Uh, during this time, people travel. Uh, Kara and I are taking off tomorrow morning to go to Pensacola, and uh, we'll be there till Friday. So if you would remember us in your prayers as we're traveling. There was a lady uh, from the Spanish ministry, uh, Ilda Triveño. She ended up moving away, but uh, she would ask me when I'd go on vacation, she said, how many days are you taking? And I said, well, it's going to be five days. And she's like, that's too little. That's too little. I was like, this is a godly woman. We need to make her part of the leadership of the church. Uh, but uh, pray for all those who are traveling and uh, that uh, we can get back okay. Uh, would you please uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23, and we'll be reading from verses 13 to verse 22. Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 22. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Verse 13 says, and this is the word of the Lord, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, uh, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. And for pretense you make long prayers, therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one... You make him twice as much the son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you blind guides who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within. Whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. It's harsh word. I pray that the Holy Spirit will apply it softly to our lives, that we can see those things that need to be changed. Father, I pray that um, uh, my ideas and my thoughts can be quickly forgotten and that your Spirit will use your word to transform us more to be like Christ and less like ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever had someone that you really looked up to, someone you really, really admired, someone that you thought, wow, this person is really great, this guy's really fantastic, this girl's, I wish I could be like her. Have you ever had that experience where you really admired somebody? I was uh, a young kid living, growing up in Venezuela, and uh, the city of Puerto Rodas, and we were kind of in a neighborhood that was... Uh, uh, a little bit poorer. There was no basketball courts anywhere around us. But um, at the time, Michael Jordan was a really big thing. And uh, we would watch Michael Jordan, and uh, we would try to imitate him. And of course, he, he was incredible. He would um, 
come running and, and from very far away, jump and go soaring through the air and dunk the ball. It was just amazing. And, and we there in that uh, neighborhood, uh, kind of on the outskirts uh, of Puerto Ordaz, were, we, we wanted that. Uh, we, we thought maybe if we practiced. And, and so we did. We, we had an old uh, bicycle rim that we hung from a tree, and we would try to throw a ball into that. And we were there trying to do it and jumping and trying to get it. I'm not sure. We, probably should have been a little bit shorter down to the ground so that we could actually do that, you know. But uh, there we were. We were throwing it and, and doing it. And we just weren't, weren't getting the air, and we weren't just getting the distance either. I mean, as much as we were trying, we just, it just wasn't happening. And then we, we noticed that there's something very particular about Michael Jordan. And I don't know if you guys remember seeing the pictures, but he did something very particular. He would stick his tongue out. I was like, that's what we're lacking. So I'm not sure if it was me or somebody else. Like, if we stick our tongue out while we're jumping, we'll get there. And now, I'm not very coordinated. So trying to get my tongue out while jumping was, was a, a feat all in itself. But there we were. All, I'm, I'm glad there was no cameras and no Facebook at that time. It would have been quite humiliating. But there we were with our tongues out trying to jump. It, it, it didn't work. But we had this admiration for him, and it pushed us to try to imitate him. Now, this is not Michael Jordan's fault. He doesn't know me from anybody. Believe it or not, we've never sat down and talked or anything. I know it's surprising, but it pushed me to imitate him. But as I tried to imitate him, I, I, I really got discouraged. There was just no way for me to, to pull off a Michael Jordan dunk. I mean, there just wasn't. It, it wasn't in my genes to do that, you know. And, and as I got discouraged, I said, yeah, I don't think basketball is going to be my, my thing. I admired him, but in admiring and trying to imitate him, I found out it was just impossible, and then I just got discouraged with it. The, the text that we're in, we see this kind of uh, discipleship process, this teaching of others, but we see that Jesus is just really, really harsh uh, against these individuals. In, in fact, uh, it almost seems to contradict what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that's chapter 11. That's not too far from chapter 23. And it, it almost seems like it's like he must have uh, forgot what he was saying. Like maybe he just totally disregarded. Like maybe he's a little schizophrenic. He, he says this at one time where he invites people to come, but then other times he's pushing people away. And how do we understand this, this aspect, this, this pushing away, this, this come to me and then don't come to me? And the thing that we think, uh, I think, that this passage presents is that these individuals are discipling, teaching others, but it's not that they're just rejecting Christ themselves, they're causing others to reject Christ as well. So the fault is not just on themselves, not accepting the Messiah, not accepting him as the one who has been anointed, the one who uh, is this Davidic king to fulfill the Davidic promise. It's not just that they're rejecting, but they're encouraging others to also reject Christ. Now, so he exposes very harshly 
what, what they're doing. He, he does so in a way he exposes very harshly, and the words that he uses are very harsh. I remember a sermon illustration that uh, preacher um, Paul Washer gave about uh, a time when his mother was diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor came in and uh, told her what she had and, and exposed the cancer and how it was going to affect her and so forth. And uh, she, he says in his sermon illustration, she just, she just started weeping right there in the middle of the, the, the room. I mean, she didn't even wait till she left the, the consultation. Right there, she's just crying. And he, Paul Washer used the analogy that uh, to help a person get better from something, you have to expose what's going on. If you can decode it, then you're not going to know what to repent of. And so Jesus very clearly shows the problem that's going on to him, and he uses these woes. What we're going to be looking at today is that your discipleship should help make you and the person you are discipling more like Christ and less like yourself. Your discipleship. If you look at uh, the Bible and you see that we're supposed to go and make disciples, you'll notice that the word disciple appears a lot in the Gospels and in the first part of Acts. But then uh, you stop seeing the word disciple, and then in the epistles you don't see the word at all. And some of you might be getting a little shocked by that, and you might want to be start turning to your concordance in the back of your Bible and see if that's really true. But um, the idea of a disciple is somebody who, as it says in Matthew 28, is someone who observes, who keeps, who follows all that Christ has commanded. And that gets explained in different ways in the epistles. One of the best ways is uh, how Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that it's the will of God that you be conformed to the image of Christ, that you look, you behave, you act like Christ and not like yourself. Uh, that meaning, if that's the idea of discipleship, that I end up looking more like Christ and less like myself, that's not 10 lessons and I'm done. Right? That's not 12, that's not 50, that's not 30 lessons and I'm done. That's a whole lifestyle of learning to be more like Christ and less like myself. But in that process of me learning to be more like Christ, I'm also supposed to be investing my life into the life of other individuals. Not so that they look like me, but so that they look like Christ. That, that's the point. So as I'm being discipled, and I'm, I'm discipling others, they should end up looking like Christ and less like ourselves. The way we do that is by focusing our relationship on God. That, that's what we need to do is focus our relationship on God. We see that through verses 13 through 15. It says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. That word for woe is a strong interjection that denotes pain or it can denote a displeasure with somebody. Uh, that you're not really agreeing, you don't like at all. It's a very harsh word to use. And Jesus is using this, he's addressing specifically the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, the, the scribes who were these individuals who would copy down the law. The Pharisees were these individuals who were interpreting the law. They're the religious leaders in Israel. They had this responsibility that they had imposed on themselves to teach the nation the law. But rather than teaching them the law, he says that they were, they were uh, shutting up, shutting off, it says, shutting off the kingdom. And that word has a very peculiar meaning. 
It has this idea of closing one's heart against someone. To close one's heart against someone. It's like when you just get fed up with somebody and you say, that's it. I'm not going to think about them anymore. They're like as if they're dead. It's shutting off. It has this idea of um, uh, kind of uh, blockading something so that not only does that thing not go through, uh, but nothing else behind it goes through as well. There's, uh, in the city of Puerto Ordaz, there's a big hydroelectric dam, and they, they designed it really nicely where there's the wall, and it has these huge metal gates. And as the metal gates go up, it lets water go through, and the water goes underneath a road uh, that has the turbines. So you can see the water rushing through, and it's turning the turbines and gives electricity. It, it, it's really neat. But this word here has this idea of being like that gateway that's shut so that the gateway doesn't move itself, but nor does it allow any water. These individuals have positioned themselves in such a way that not only are they rejecting Christ, they're not moving a step forward, but they're blockading anyone else from getting anywhere close to Christ. They're stopping them. Like, no, you cannot go. That's what they're doing. And it says, uh, verse 14, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Uh, they end up taking advantage of widows. And while they're taking advantage of widows, there they go making these long prayers. On and on they go. Uh, supposedly super spiritual. We've all seen these type of people. You're all hungry and you're waiting, uh, you're anxious to eat. And uh, you invite them to pray and, and there they go, 30 minutes. And you're like, come on, just thank the Lord for the food and let's eat. You know? And they want to show how spiritual they are by praying for this person over there and that person over there and on and on they go. Here they're taking advantage of widows, and, but then they want to give the pretense that they have this walk with the Lord. They're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They, um, verse 15 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And again, he calls them a hypocrite because you travel around the, war, uh, the sea and land just to make one proselyte. They're very zealous for their beliefs. They're very zealous and they're willing to go to all expenses. They'll travel across the sea. They'll travel across land just to turn one to become a proselyte. A proselyte is a person who not just uh, accepts faith in God and is saved, but it's someone who puts themselves under the law. Now, um, was it necessary to make these individuals proselytes? And my answer would be no. Now, before you grab a hymnal and decide to throw it up here at me, uh, let me explain a little bit. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, it says, Abraham uh, believed in the law and it was counted to him as righteousness. Right? No. Abraham existed way before the law was written. He put his faith in God. Faith in God is what saved him, not faith in the law. Or do you remember Job, who was written also way before the law? How did he have a relationship with God? Was it through keeping, through doing, through observing? It was through faith. Faith brought him into a relationship with God. How about, um, how about Jonah? Remember when Jonah went to Nineveh and he goes to preach and, and, and he's there preaching to them and he tells them, this is what you guys got to do. The men's got to get circumcised. We're going to build up an altar here. We're going to start sacrificing animals and we'll see if then, if God relents. No. The king ends up calling the people to repent. 
to repent, and they said, maybe God will be merciful. And it says over in verse 10 of, of chapter 3, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But they want to convert the individuals to Judaism and then put their, their law upon them. He, he wanted, they wanted them to, to say, you got to do all this thing, and they start giving them this whole list of things that they got to be doing. And the guy says, okay, I see this whole list of things i got to be doing. He said, no, 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 that's just before breakfast. After you eat breakfast, you got this whole other list of things you got to do. And then you got to keep on going and going and going. And they put the pressure of doing as if doing is what brings peace, brings righteousness before God. It doesn't. It's faith. It's always been faith. Even with the law, it's faith. Believing in God. Now, they, we do have some examples of some individuals that did this. For, for example, Rahab. Rahab, she ended up uh, being in Jericho, but she decided that, uh, that it was, she didn't have a future in Jericho, and she decided to put her faith in, in God of Israel. Ruth. We remember Ruth as well. She, uh, at a certain point, Naomi's going back, and she says, your God's going to be my God, your people are going to be my people. There are those who put themselves in this covenant relationship with God. But it was about faith, and they just totally ignored the aspect of faith. Now, as we look at this, that we need to focus on our relationship with God. If we're going to be disciples, and if we're going to be discipling others to look more like Christ and less like ourselves, we need to focus our relationship on God. And we do this by realizing that we're either helping individuals get closer to God or we're blocking them. There's no in-between place. There's no, uh, I'm just going to be neutral in this. No, we're either helping individuals get closer to God or we're blocking them. Now, when I say that, I don't want you to think that somehow that we are uh, key instruments in, in the salvation process. No, no, no. Uh, we know that God is the one that has started the salvation process. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. He, he didn't come and ask me. He didn't ask you. God did this. And we also know from John chapter 16, verse 10 uh, through 8 through 10, it says that, uh, and he, uh, talking about the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. How does an individual recognize their need for a Savior? How does it happen that an individual recognizes that there's nothing that they can do to have peace with God except through believing in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior? You'll give the same gospel presentation to two individuals, and one person will say, yes, I need to be saved. And the other one's like, no, nah, I don't need that. What's the difference? It's the Spirit working in the person's life. But, but God in his sovereign will decided to use individuals for the gospel proclamation. He does the work, but he decides to use us. And a great example of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter. 3, 6 through 8. There Paul is saying, um, he's talking about the ministry, and he's saying, um, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God gave the increase. It was God's word. 
But he decides to use us to either help individuals get closer to God, or as we see here in this text, there are some individuals who block the way. They don't try to get closer to God, and they help prevent others from doing the same. Now, we can't, we can't change last week. I would love it if we could move back in time and change some decisions. Wouldn't that be great? I'm sure you have a whole list of things that you're probably thinking that would be fantastic if we could do over again. But we can't change. But we can decide what we're going to do next week. And we can either decide consciously that I am going to help individuals take steps closer to God, or I'm just not going to do anything, which is blocking. I'm either going to be involved in helping people know Christ better, or I'm just going to do whatever I'm doing that's focused on myself. It's about knowing God personally. We've got to take effort to follow God and, and, and encourage others also to follow Him. And, and this, it, to do this, you really have to have a correct view of God. And this is where this focusing on God is, is, comes in handy. If your view of God is somebody very small, uh, someone insignificant, someone that you give whatever time you have left over, you're not going to encourage other people to seek after him. You're really not. I mean, you'll just be too busy to be doing that type of mess. Unless you have a view that God is great and God is worthy of being followed, unless your vision of God is that he's enormous and he's the only thing worth following, you're not going to take the time to be messing around with other people. Life's too short you got to see what you're going to invest in, and you'll only invest in that as if God is great in your life. Now, we, we have to realize that we're either blocking individuals or we're helping individuals, but what we also need to be doing is focusing on being like Christ. Focus on being like Christ. These individuals are focusing on having people be like them, to dress like them, to adhere to the laws that they want to, them to adhere, and, and to look and behave and, and act just like them. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is to look like Christ. But they're rejecting Christ. Now, how do we become the image of Christ? How does that change happen? That change only happens through God working in us. We know from Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that it's God's will that we be transformed to the image of, of Christ. And for that change to happen, we have to recognize that uh, God does that work. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. That, that's not something I do. That's something that Christ is working in us. Christ is working to transform us into the image of his own image. God is also working in us. The Spirit is working in us to transform us into this image. Now, how does that happen? And this is where it gets kind of tricky. Because sometimes what we think is that maybe if I add on good works to my life, I will then somehow become more the image of Christ. So I, um, I add on being nice to people. I add on being loving to people. I try to be patient towards people, and I try to add these things to my life, and somehow I think that I can force myself to be more like Christ. You can't force yourself to be like Christ. There's a lot of 
good moral people out there that are totally lost on their way to hell. Oh, they're good. They're great neighbors to have because they, they want to help you out and everything. Uh, how does this happen? How is it that we become more like Christ? And to do that, we have to uh, go to Philippians chapter 2. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. There's a very well-known passage um, starting in verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which, is, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient uh, to the point of death, even death on the cross. And verse 8 has the key of what it looks like to become the image of Christ. There's two words, and I don't know if you'd like to highlight in your Bible, but I would encourage you to do that. It says that he humbled himself and he became obedient. He obeyed and he was humble. What does the image of Christ look like in your life? It looks like that you are humble and you're obedient. Uh, as I said, many pagan individuals try to be moral individuals, but that doesn't make them more like Christ. Sanctification happens where you become more the image of Christ. When you read God's word, you read his commands, uh, you accept them in faith that what he says to do is better than what you think you should do. And then, not because you want to, but because you want to glorify God, you obey them. So uh, you, give a, you have a situation, and it says that uh, husbands are to love the wife. But my wife, she's nagging and nagging and nagging about my socks. Why can't she just pick them up? You know? Why, why can't she just do it? I mean, it takes more effort for her to come and find me and say, hey, you left your socks on the floor, than that if she would have just picked it up and been done with it. But see... The, God, words, uh, the Word of God says for me to be loving towards her. My flesh says, I don't want to be loving. My flesh says, I want to be selfish. But I decide through the power of the Spirit that I'm going to accept God's way better than my way. So I'm going to be loving to her, not because I'm thinking that maybe later on she'll cook something that I really like, you know, and get something in exchange for picking up my socks. But I'm doing it because I, I believe that this will bring glory to God. And that is the difference between someone who's pagan and moral and someone who gets transformed to the image of Christ is that they apply God's word in faith, not for their own prosperity, but because it will glorify God. Not because they want to, but because they humbly obey and it's not until you start living that way that we become transformed more to the image of Christ. When we just try to do it through our own manpower, we're going to just buckle down and, and be more loving. I love you, honey! It's like, wow, this is a wonderful relationship. I'm glad I said yes, you know. Or whatever else it could be. If you just try to do it through your own strength, you, you run out of strength. You can't. But it's through accepting 
that his way is better, so I'm going to obey. I don't understand it, but I want to do it for God's glory. That transforms us into the image of Christ. Now, we need to focus on our relationship of God because we need to look more like Christ and less like ourselves. And also, as we're discipling others, we need to help them look more like Christ and less like themselves. But we also need to focus on our teaching. Uh, focus our teaching others about God correctly. And we see that in verses 16 through 22. Verses 16 through 22. Uh, Jesus calls them blind guides. And he, he presents this thing that is going on among them, which is really silly. A person uh, is going to make a, a swear. They're going to make an obligation. I promise to do this by the temple. Ah, the temple is not important. It's the gold in the temple now. That's important. Where is that found in Scripture? And, and how does the gold in the temple have any value if not for the fact that it's inside the temple? It's the temple that sanctifies, and Jesus points that out. Another person says, oh, I, I'm going to make a promise by the altar. Another person, ah, it's not the altar. It's the animal on the altar. That's what obligates you. There's butchers all over the place killing, slaughtering animals. How does that sanctify you? That doesn't do anything. That's just preparing a meal. It's the altar that sanctifies that slaughter of that animal and has value. And Jesus points that out. And ultimately, it's about God who's on the throne over everything. So they try to uh, make certain ideas and, and try to push certain doctrines forward. Doctrines that aren't found in God's word. Things that they felt very strongly, very convicted about. And, and as we look at this, as we think about teaching others, and here they were, they're coming up with all types of silly obligations, silly things that they had to be doing. Not about the temple, but about the, um, the gold in the temple. Not about the altar, but uh, about the animal on, on, on the altar. I think as we look at this and we see what they were doing, we need to take care of our own doctrine. Take care of our own doctrine. Uh, there are a lot of clever Bible teachers out there, and they say some really neat things. But it should take us right back to Scripture. It, that, that's the point, because it's through Scripture that we see who Christ is. It shouldn't be that we get focused on the individual. It should be that it focuses us back us on, on the Scriptures. And, and we become very guilty of this, uh, of this type of stuff that they do. And uh, we, we really need to move the hymnals out of here, because uh, I'm going to move into some sacred cow killing time, okay? Uh, <clears throat> how do we do this type of silliness? Uh, if you look in the scriptures, do you see the word hallowing anywhere? We don't see the word hallowing anywhere, do we? But there'll be individuals who, because of their convictions, and I think you should have your conviction, I'm not saying you shouldn't, they'll have 51 reasons why you shouldn't celebrate Halloween but you ask them to give you the gospel, and they'll stutter and stammer, and they just say, God did the work. Okay, what, what does that mean? What, what does it mean? What, what did you do? What, what happened at that moment of salvation? And they'll go 51 reasons why you shouldn't celebrate Halloween, but they can't even give you the gospel, which is 
throughout the whole scriptures. It's, it's putting a focus on my convictions and ignoring what God yells out. It's elevating my own personal convictions above everything else and saying, follow me. And we should be saying, follow Christ. Look to Christ. Be changed into his image. There is no hope in anything else. We should be very careful with our doctrine. I'm not saying not have convictions. You need to have convictions. But we need to be yelling where God yells and being humble where it's our own personal conviction. Now, take care of our doctrine. We also need to take care of our intention. We see these individuals and they are pursuing holiness. And we say, that, that's fantastic. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a nation that was holy like this? I mean, just, uh, wouldn't it be nice? But the thing is, is that it's a holiness apart from God. And rather than leading people towards God, it leads people to them. Which is not the same. We need to be careful for our intentions. Our intentions. Uh, another thing that we need to be careful is incorporating worldly practices. You remember from 2 Samuel chapter 4, King David is moving the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. They're at the threshing floor, and what happens? Uh, David decided one good day for, for some reason to put the ark on a cart. And what happened to that cart at the threshing floor? It turned over, and Uzziah put his hands up and stopped it. The wrath of the Lord went out immediately against Uzziah and killed him. Why did that incident happen? Well, because it was on a cart. Had God revealed how to transport the ark? Oh, yeah, he had. He told them that the Levites were supposed to put rods in there and supposed to carry them. But see, the Philistines had earlier put the ark on a cart. And he said, you know, that's a really good idea. We don't have to wear out the, the Levites. Let's be real practical with this. I'm going to help out God's plan. And many times we become very pragmatic in wanting to help out God. And again, it detracts from what God has said. We put a priority on our own things that we're seeing rather than on what God is revealing. As we look at this, your discipleship and, and those who you are discipling should make you look more like Christ and less like yourselves. Unfortunately, we have people that look like Brother So-and-So and Pastor Dulali, and we have people that look like Christ. And it's a shame. Remember my desire to look like, to act like, to be like Michael Jordan? I failed miserably. Had, maybe had I had a coach and said, look, don't try to be Michael Jordan. Just try to be a good basketball player. Maybe I would have gotten into JV. I don't know. I'd probably not. Uh, no, I doubt that I would have gotten into JV too. But my thing was, is I was looking at a person rather than looking at the gifts that God had given me. Here we see these individuals and they are detracting from the gospel because they want people to follow them instead of Christ. How can you do this in your life? It has to start with salvation. If you've never come to the point in your life where you recognize that you're a nasty, wretched sinner that can't do anything to get one step closer to God, but God in His grace and His mercy sent His Son to die in your place to take your guilt and that if you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, 
that his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension saves you of your sins and you put your faith in that, in that alone, you can be saved. See, this aspect of discipleship has to start with those who are saved. For you who are saved, this aspect of discipleship, of becoming more like Christ, is, is, is the work that God is doing in your life to set you apart. And it comes through being humble and becoming obedient. There's no way that you can become prideful and obstinate and say, I'm going to be like Christ. You can't say, I'm just going to be myself because God has made me like this. No. It's an abandonment of self to be like Christ. And that's how we become more for his honor and for his glory. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray now as we consider this text, we, we can't change last week. There's not a thing in the world that we can change from last week. But I pray as we look forward, if there's someone here who has never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, maybe they've been putting their faith in works, maybe they've had the greatest intentions of the world, but they've never trusted what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I pray that today will be the day of salvation. That in a minute that they'll come forward and they'll want to know about how they can have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those of us who are saved and, and we have um, not been considering the fact that we're either encouraging people to God or we're either blocking them. I pray that if we haven't been making efforts to help individuals get closer to you, that we'll repent of that. And that this week and the rest of our lives, we will dedicate to helping individuals have a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand? We'll sing.